Right. Well, good morning. If you do have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 13. If you don't know where that is, it's the fourth book of your Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Uh, it is the one that derails more. Uh, read through the Bible in a year, books of the Bible, than probably any other book, right? You're, you're trudging through, you hit Leviticus, you're like, that's weird. Uh, but hey, we'll keep going. Then you hit numbers and you're like, I'm out. I'll pick it up next year, right? So uh, as you're turning to that, uh, my name is Greg Key. I'm on staff here and uh, I oversee the media and I uh, had a chance to be on staff here for a really long time, probably longer than most of you have been alive and that's okay. So uh, this morning we're going to be in numbers 13 and Kevin asked me if I could uh, teach and he said this. He goes, hey, can you teach for me while I'm in Africa? I said, yeah, bro. I said, what you going through? He goes, Revelation. And uh, I said, well, just tell me what chapter you're on. He's like, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to you. And I said, well, I wouldn't blame you if you did. And uh, I said, I would just make a huge mess to give you job security to clean up when you got back. So I would like to formally introduce myself as what I call the blue-collar theologian uh, on staff here at Lakeview. That means uh, all of our thermostat pastors like Brian, Aaron, and Kevin. That means they've got more degrees than a thermostat. Uh, they are the ones that all you intellectual people uh, really connect with. So uh, all my people that are hardworking and uh, don't like to read, I'm here for you today. Okay, so uh, everybody else, just hang on. Riley the Stud Hamburg will be here next Sunday, and your, your void will be complete. So uh, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 13 this morning. Uh, many of you uh, have probably either read or heard of Charles Dickens' classic book, A Tale of Two Cities. And in that book, he opens with uh, this. He says, it is the best of times, and it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, and it was the age of foolishness. This morning, we're going to take that concept, and we're actually going to look at two moments in Israel's history that are recorded for us. One of those moments was the worst moment for them. It was an age of foolishness. The other moment that we're going to look at was one of their best moments. It was an age of wisdom. It's the same God. We're going to see the same scenario, but in the end, we're going to see two totally different responses. And so this morning, what we want to look at is what I'm calling a tale of two faiths, a tale of two faiths. So we're going to start in Numbers chapter 13 with this. Now, before I get started, I've got a public service announcement. By a show of hands, mine included, who are my avid note-takers in the room? Okay, all right? I needed to know who to apologize to. You're not going to like me for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because I'm actually going to give you the sub-points before I give you the main header. So leave space, okay? When you do number one, leave space. Now, here's the dilemma I know that you're in, because I know there's more than one person in here with CDO. That's OCD in alphabetical order, okay? There's more than one person in here with CDO, and that is... How do I know how much space to leave? Do I leave one line or two? Because nothing's worse than only leaving one and needing two or leaving two and using one, and now what do you do with that gap? You know what I'm talking about? Well, if you're one of those people, there's scrap paper around you. If you really want the inside track, take notes on that scrap piece of paper, then later transfer it into your nice, neat, organized notebook, and then you'll be like Riley Hambrick, and you'll be perfectly fine, okay? You'll be great. You'll be great. So a uh, little heads up there on, uh, on point number one. So here's the, the first thing that we're going to see uh, in Numbers chapter 13 is the command. It is the command. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, So the Lord spoke to Moses 
saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you send a man, every one a chief among them. Now there's a chance you may not know, where are we in the setting of history? Where are we in what's going on in the life of the Israelites? Many of you, if not all of you, have heard about the Israelites' time in Egypt. Uh, they, they were slaves. They were oppressed for over 400 years. They cried out to God. God sent Moses and Aaron. Many of you have probably heard of them. Moses and Aaron come in. God sends the plagues. Uh, Moses releases them after the last plague of the Passover. They go to the Red Sea, one of the most epic uh, encounters in all of history that most people have heard of. God parts the Red Sea. The people escape Pharaoh's army, and he's venturing them and taking them to the promised land. And that's where we pick up in the journey. They're now at the Jordan River's edge. They're now getting ready to go into the promised land. And so God tells Moses to send spies to check out the land. And so Moses chooses one from every tribe. Now, how many tribes were there in Israel? You can say it like you know it. Twelve, thank you. That's right. Yes, I know y'all are used to just sitting and soaking up Kevin. This would be a two-way street today, okay? Yeah, that's right. There were 12 tribes in Israel. So there was one from each tribe that Moses sends out. Now, you may say, okay, why is that a big deal? Well, actually, this fits right into, if you look at Moses' background. If, if you don't know, Moses was born to an Israelite, and Pharaoh saw that the Israelites were growing in number, and so he sent a decree for all the firstborn males to be murdered, right? Because he wanted to take away uh, the expansion of these aliens that were in his land. Moses' mom hides him in a bat, sends him down the river. He ends up in Pharaoh's house, right? Pharaoh's daughter takes him in. So for the first 40 years of Pharaoh's life, he was raised in the royal family in Pharaoh's house. Now, what does that mean? That means he would have studied everything Egyptian. Now, Egypt was the most prominent and the most dominant nation at this point in time in history, which means Moses would have also learned warfare and strategy, right? So Moses was no dummy. We think of Moses as the, the second-grade shepherd that was herding his father-in-law's flock, but actually Moses was very well-educated. He was multilingual. He would have studied military strategy and, and all of these things. And so when Moses now takes the people, he's at the Jordan's River's Edge, he's no dummy, right? At this point in time, he's actually 80 years old. And so he sends them out to spy the land, not only because God told him to, but because he sees that as a great strategy. But notice what God says here in this command. In the verse 2, he says, Send men out to spy the land in Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Now, notice the emphatic statement that's in there. See, here's one of the things about God. When God makes promises, when God makes commands, he doesn't use wishful thinking. He uses very emphatic words. He doesn't say the land that I'm hoping that you'll be able to live in. He doesn't say the land that I'm wishing that you'll be able to take. No, he says the land that I am giving to my people Israel. That is the command. Now, if you are these people, your whole life, all that you've ever known, all the stories that you've ever heard growing up were all about slavery and oppression. That's all you've ever known. And so to have the thought or the concept of freedom is one thing, but to now have the reality of freedom is another. Because now they are living in the moment that their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents had only hoped for. And now, if you don't 
put that in context, you may miss how exciting and how impactful this moment is for the people of Israel. This is a big deal for them. They're excited. So to hear God say, you're finally here. This is the land I'm giving you. Send spies to go check it out. They're like, yes, that is awesome. Okay, that's awesome. So they, he, that's the command. So here's the scouting. What is the scouting uh, that takes place? They go into the land, and, and here's what Moses tells them. Look in uh, verse 17. It says, so Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said to them, go up into the Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went and they spied out the land, right? Now, here they are. This is, this is Moses with his strategy. This is what this is. How many of you guys have ever uh, anticipated a trip or a vacation or something, and you had never been there before, and you go online and you do like a Google search? Anybody? Yeah, it, because you want to you know, right? You're, you're like, oh, dude, what does that look like? And then when Google came out with, like, Street View, that's amazing. Because you could sit there, and you could, like, spin around, and you could be like, ooh, that's across the street. That's what I'm talking about, right? I mean, now all of a sudden this place gets it. That's what this is. This is Moses' Google search for that day, okay? He's sending the people out, and he's like, when you come back, we want to know. What are the people like? Are they big? Are they small? What's the land like? Is anything even growing in there, right? In case you didn't know. They're in a desert, okay? He's like, is anything growing there? That's the place where we want to be. What are their cities like? Are they fortified? Are they not fortified? Historians tell us that, that these cities, when they would fortify these cities, it, it was no joke, okay? Don't think like retainer wall that you see driving around East University Drive. There's, some of these fortified cities, historians tell us, were so large, they would do chariot races around them, okay? Eat your heart out, NASCAR. This is where you first came from, okay? So they would do chariot races around the top of these walls, so much so that we're going to read here in a little bit in Joshua that when the spies went in and Rahab hid them from, from uh, being killed, she hid them in her apartment. Anybody know where she lived in Jericho? In the stinking wall, okay? And I know some of you are like, well, Greg, I'm a college student. Have you seen my apartment, you know? Yes, but that's still a really thick wall, okay? Because they had to be let down through the window. So these were huge things that Moses knew about. He's like, look, I need to know about the people, the land, these cities. Tell us everything about it. Now, you may go, what's up with the fruit? Like, is that random? Don't gloss over that. Let me tell you why. Look in verse 23, a little bit further down. It says, they came to the valley of Eshcol, and they cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. You're like, wow, they were carrying a large, you know, like stuffing it in their inside pocket. No, 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 no. Check this out. They carried it on a pole between two of them. Did you catch that? Y'all, these weren't toddlers trying to carry a little thing of grape that you put on your paper towel, okay? These grapes are so freaking big. One cluster is carried on a pole between two grown men. Dude, that's a produce section I've never seen. What do you do with those grapes? You know, aside from Riley and supermodels, who goes, I'm full, I had half a grape for breakfast. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, 
do you play dodgeball with these things? What do you do? I, I mean, come on, man. Like, I'll stop picking on Riley. But, but the thing is, is that this land, it, it's showing like what God has promised is far beyond anything they could ever imagine, okay? So here we go, man. We got, we got God, the God of Israel, giving them this promise that says, hey, you guys have waited hundreds of years for this, and I'm now fulfilling that promise to you. And you're now at the river's edge. These guys go scout it out, and, and, and they come back. Now, check out the report, okay? This, this report is awesome. Uh, the report is, is awesome. They come back after 40 days. Can you imagine the anticipation? Anybody else like me, when I buy a gift for somebody, I have to buy it like the day before I'm going to give it to them because I can't, I can't wait. Anybody else like that besides me? Anticipation is a terrible thing. See, I'm old enough to remember. Don't you love when granddads always come out with that? No, I'm not a granddad yet. But the thing is that uh, I'm old enough to remember that when we used to take photography, it was on this thing called film right? And it was in this little roll. And you would take it to the store and you would drop it in this bag and you would mail it off. Then they would call you like a week or two later and tell you that your pictures were ready, okay? Then all of a sudden, some voodoo magic came out. I don't know what sorcery this was, but it was called One Hour Photo, okay? And, and they were like, hey, you can now get your pictures developed in one hour, and I was like, you signed a deal with the devil. That, that is sorcery. There's no way that's real. And you could go to the store and you could drop it off. You could go shopping and come back. And all of a sudden, your pictures were there. And I'm like, what in the world? Now, all of a sudden, you get like extremely discouraged if you can't just pop one out like that, right? So most of us, we, we have a hard time understanding anticipation, but really we don't. I, you know what I mean? If you've got to wait. How many of you go to a restaurant and your time limit for waiting is less than 20 minutes before you go somewhere else? All the old people raise your hand. That's right, yeah. You're like, I'll get in my car and drive to three other places, dadgummit. I'm walking right in, okay? So anticipation is crazy. 40 days they had to wait. 40. What would you do if you hit a Google search and you had to wait 40 days before the images came up? You can tell me. What would you do? You wouldn't wait 40 days. Your computer would be out on the ground busted with a baseball bat by the next morning, right? So 40 days they returned from spying the land. Look at verse 26. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. Now, listen, guys. You've been waiting your whole life for this. Now you've been waiting 40 days to hear this. The people are excited. They're ecstatic. They're elated. They see the 12 coming back. All of them still alive. In case you don't know, spying is kind of dangerous, right? You know, and so they see all 12 of them coming back alive, and two of them carrying freaking grapes on a pole. That is awesome. Okay, this is a good day. This is a good day. All right, so here's a report. They brought back word to them, to all the congregation. They showed them the fruit of the land. They're like, check this out, bro. You know, they're like, dibs, you know, and, and it's awesome. Okay, now, look at verse 27. And they told them, we came to the land to whence you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Whoa. Now, i got to be honest with you. I have no idea why milk and honey is, is like the most prominent thing in Scripture, just like I have no idea why, why we Southerners raid milk and bread at this. I have no idea, right? But for whatever reason, milk and honey meant plush. It meant everything that was there. They were like, guys, guess what? It is just like God told us. It's fabulous. Or fantabulous if you want to make up a word right it is it is outstanding now you're excited you're like yes we're finally here verse 28 however oh my gosh 
Y'all ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? Like maybe there's a, a, a girl that you're interested in, right? And, and a buddy of you is like, hey, just so you know, she's, she's in your age bracket. She's, you know, she's in your target range. And uh, he's like, yes. And he goes, however. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Right? It's that letdown, you know? Or, or you're like, you go and you interview for this job, and they're like, hey, listen, uh, you're perfect. You've got all the credentials. Um, you're exactly what we're looking for. And you're like, yes. And then they go, however. You know, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, we just filled the position this morning. You, you know what I mean? It's like, come on, man. That's, that's how these guys are. They're like, it's exactly like God said it was. It's perfect. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They all dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Right? Well, I mean, what a Debbie Downer, right? I mean, just go ahead and suck all the air out of the room. Just pop my party balloon. That's, that's pretty much what they're like. This is awesome, but don't. We can't take it. We're not big enough. We're not strong enough. And, uh, yeah, we, we got nothing. We got nothing. Now, look at verse 30. Now, Caleb, who was one of the spies, quieted the people before Moses and said, Caleb's probably like, what is wrong with you people? What crayons y'all been smoking this morning? Y'all must have forgot. Look at this. He goes, dude, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we were able to overcome it. Look, he, he says, guys, What's wrong with you? Do you not remember the emphatic statement that God said that this is the land that he is going to give us? The victory's already been won. But somehow they missed all of that. So Caleb's frustrated. He's trying to figure out why in the world did the rest of these spies miss it? We see throughout Scripture, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that held strong to the promise of God and were like, we've got this. So they were outnumbered 10 to 2. And they were like, man, we, we got nothing. We got nothing. Look at this. So we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Verse 31, that's what the people said. Verse 32, so they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And so here these people are all disappointed. They're like, dude, what's, what's going on here, you know? They're so, in, in other places in Scripture, it says that they actually go to Moses, and they were like, hey, bro, just take us back to Egypt. Just take us back to Egypt. Now, now guys, here's the deal, man. Here's what we see is that you would think of all the people in all of history that would have no problems with this report. It would be these people. Now, you say, why is that? Just think with me for a minute, like everything they've seen. When, when they were growing up in Israel, they were slaves and they were oppressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They watched the ten plagues. If, if you've never, don't know anything about the ten plagues, go into Exodus sometime, read about the ten plagues, and let your mind's eye recreate what that would have been like. The whole place covered with frogs. The whole place covered with gnats. Every water source turning into blood bulls all over your body livestock which is your living and your food source is all dead they watched every bit of this with their own eyes they watched goshen where they live not be affected at all they watched every bit of that not only that they saw the passover one of the the, the most heart-wrenching plagues of them all 
the Spirit of the Lord passing over these houses, and every house that didn't have the blood on the doorway, their firstborn son died. The grief of losing a child all across the land except for your child. Then you see the hearts of the Egyptians turn and say, you know what, you're free to go. Not only do you walk out a free people, they sent all their stuff with you. You looted and pillaged all their stuff gladly. They were like, here, take this with you. Then you find yourself coming up to the river sea edge and you look back over the ridge and you see Pharaoh's army barreling down on you because Pharaoh changed his mind and now he wanted to kill him out of vengeance. And you see Moses walk up with a stick, put it at the river's edge. The Red Sea parted. Guys, a conservative guesstimate is going to be about 1.5 to 2 million people crossed over, not just on ground, on dry ground. God parted a whole stinking sea and made the bed of it dry so that they could walk over with all their children, all their animals, all their stuff to turn around and see Pharaoh's army barreling behind you. The sea closed, kill Pharaoh's army, and you are safe and you are free. Then as they're traveling in the wilderness from the Red Sea to this Jordan River's edge, people are trying to invade them and overtake them because they realize that they're vulnerable and they're helpless, and God protects them. Guys, you've seen every bit of that with your own eyes. Who of all people should have the faith to look at this and go, that's nothing. That's nothing. Have you seen what God's already done? That's nothing. But here's the problem. They had a faith that was overcome by fear. They had a faith that was overcome by fear. I, I firmly believe that when you read through Scripture, especially in the New Testament, when it talks about spiritual warfare, the adversary has a quiver of arrows that he fires at every one of us all the time. I think two of his most successful arrows he used in this one encounter. One is uncertainty. The fear of uncertainty. For whatever reason, this kind of made them pause. And it made them retract and say, man, I just, I don't know. Here's what the people said to Moses. You ready for this? This, is, this blows me away. They go, you know what, Moses? Just take us back to Egypt. We know what we had there. Yeah, you had slavery and oppression there. They would rather have slavery and oppression than to go into battle to take a place that God promised that they had already had. And, and some of us go, what is wrong with these people? I do. And then the Holy Spirit comes in. He's like, well, Greg, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Leave me alone. <laughs> right? I love when the Holy Spirit blindsides you, man. It makes you want to stop doing a quiet time. Don't stop doing a quiet time, by the way. He's like, well, Greg, how about you? How many times in life have, have, has my spirit put something in your spirit of something that, that maybe I'm leading you to, uh, maybe something I'm leading you away from, or maybe I'm leading you into? And for whatever reason, a spirit of uncertainty causes you to pause. You're like, well, look, here's the deal. I know what I've got here. It may not be what I like, but it's what I know. And, and, and we end up having a, a, a faith that gets overtaken by fear. The second arrow that I think that the adversary uses in his quiver is not just a fear of uncertainty, but a fear of failure. A, a fear of failure. I've competed for about half my life in, in various ways, and I can tell you right now that in, in all my life experiences, I've never met somebody who woke up with the target goal of failing that day, right? I mean, maybe if you work in the nursery, you're like, well, if I don't do it good, they won't invite me back. But that's a terrible, 
mindset to have, right? But fear of failure. Nobody wakes up and they're like, bro, no champion wakes up and goes, I hope I lose my belt tonight in my fight. None. Uh, nobody wakes up and goes, I really hope I fall face first in the middle of my class tomorrow, the first day of class. That just would set the tone for the semester and I'd be a champion. No, like nobody sets failure as their target goal. And a fear of failure can hold us back from a lot of things. Because guys, listen. The crossing of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan River is the two times in history that God parts two bodies of water for his people to cross. Both of them took faith, but it wasn't the same faith. The Red Sea, they crossed because of self-preservation. If you're like, hey, Greg, do you want to cross the Red Sea or do you want to get slaughtered by Pharaoh's army? I mean, come on, that's not much of a decision. You're like, hang on, let me pray about it and I'll get back with you in the morning. No, you're like, I'll take the Red Sea, thank you very much, right? And so the Red Sea is, is, is a faith of self-preservation, but a Jordan River, Red Sea, you're, you're coming across from war. The Jordan River, you're going across into war. That's, that's different. But when you have the assurance, it's, it's nothing. But listen, guys, they had, a, they had a faith that was overcome by fear because of uncertainty and failure, and that's why when in the New Testament, God gives us the pieces and the characteristics of the full armor of God, watch this, that he tells us to put on every day so that we can fight against the adversary, the one piece of armor he mentions that we use against the arrows of the adversary is the shield of what? Faith. Faith. That's what we hunker down behind to guard against these arrows that come in. So here we are, section one. It was the worst of times. It was the age of foolishness. Their faith had been overcome by their fear. Well, the second thing is, turn with me to the book of Joshua. To the book of Joshua, just a couple books over to the right. We're going to start in chapter one. Remember, note takers, leave some space. Hopefully, nobody got up and walked out. I guess that's a good sign. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Joshua, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1. Now, what's happened here? Basically, the people grumble. They're like, we don't want the land. God says, this is my paraphrase, by the way. God says, fine, if you don't want it, I'll give it to a generation that does. So they have what you might know as the wilderness wanderings. For 40 years, they just wander in the desert. God said that only Joshua and Caleb would survive in order to see the land that God had promised them because they were faithful the first time of the promise of God to take the promised land. Even Moses was held back and wasn't able to go into the promised land. And so here they wandered for 40 years. Moses has now died, and Joshua is now in leadership, and now there's a new generation that's ready to take the promised land, okay? And, and we see this, this background that's taking place uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Okay, here we see it again. We see the promise. You guys are going to see a lot of similarities here. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. That should look and sound very familiar, right? If you're Joshua, this gives you flashbacks of 40 years. Can you imagine, right, Joshua and Caleb? Just, just think about it for a minute. 
they were ready the first time. They were ready to go into the promised land, and they were held back by everybody else. You ever been in a situation where, like, you wanted to do something, and you were outnumbered, and everybody else wanted to do something else, and you just had to sit, you know, and, 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 and bite your tongue on the I told you so? <laughs> I wonder how many times, that, this is totally me, by the way, because I'm not fully sanctified. I wonder how many times Joshua and Caleb went to people on their deathbed and be like, Mm-hmm. You know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, out in the wilderness, they, they didn't do that because they love Jesus. But, but, uh, but me, on the other hand, no, I'm just kidding. But, but no, the thing is, is that here they are again. It's the same God. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The same promise he gave to the generation before at the Jordan's River is the same promise that he gives to them today. Notice the emphatic statement, to, to the land that I am giving to them. So here we see another scouting report. Another scouting report. Look in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Same thing, a little different strategy. He sends two instead of 12. Um, and he tells them, you know, I always wonder, like, why Jericho specifically? We didn't see that the first time. Uh, you know, we can only draw conclusions based on other things that we see in Scripture. Number one, uh, Jericho was a very prominent city. Uh, it was a very prominent city at this time. It was so much so that even in, in, when we read through the Gospels, Jericho is still alive and well and still a very prominent city in Jesus' time. Uh, also, too, we know that that's the first city that they're going to encounter as they cross the Jordan River, so he probably specifically wanted to scout Jericho. There's a lot of options, a lot of reasons why that would be the case. And, and so here he is. He, he tells them to go in and to scout out and spy against Jericho. Now, the thing that we know about this encounter versus the first time, the first time doesn't record for us uh, any challenges or adversity that the people faced. But here we see that when they go into Jericho, the people want to kill them. As I said earlier, Rahab, who was a, a pagan who lived in that uh, time, she hid the spies in her apartment. When the men went away, they climbed down the wall. So much so, they made a promise to Rahab, hey, listen, we take Jericho. We'll find favor on you and your family. They actually saved Rahab, Rahab was, was grafted into the people of Israel, and she followed them uh, for the rest of her life. It's a pretty cool story of redemption and salvation. And so they have this scouting report, and, and then they come back. Here's, here's their report, okay? So the promise is the same. The scouting is the same. The reports are different, yet they're the same. You say, well, what's, what's, what, what does that mean? Look in uh, chapter 2, verse 23. Then the two men returned, these are the spies, they came down from the hills and they passed over, they came to Joshua the son of Nun and they told him all that had happened to them. Now watch this, here's what they have. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also the inhabitants of the land melted away because of us. The report was the same. They were like, dude, the people are big, the cities are fortified, the land is awesome. But the response was different. The first time, they're like, it's awesome, but we can't have it. The second time, they're like, it's awesome, let's go get it. It's pretty fantastic. And, and basically, they give them the report of all that had happened. And they said, yep, it's big. They big. But we got this. We got God, right? We got God. Now, here's the second part that you see. In, in the first part, we saw a group of people whose faith was overcome by fear. Now what we see is a group of people whose faith overcame fear. Their faith overcame fear because they had faith in God. They had belief. 
A faith that said, I understand God's promises. I believe that it will not just be handed to us, but I believe that God is faithful and we will fulfill his promise to us. Now we ask this crucial question this morning, okay? Where does this faith come from? Where does this level of faith come from? Several years ago, Brother Al did a sermon series on the five solas. You guys may have heard of the five solas, you know, about grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, scripture alone, glory of God alone. There's one that's, that's, that's never been in there, but a lot of people feel like it should be, and that's called sola bootstrapa, right? Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Well, why is it not in there? Because it's contrary to Scripture, right? If you can believe, you can achieve. Well, I'd love to believe I'm fit, but let's be honest, right? <laughs> I must have a lot of lack of faith. So the thing is that, you know, it, you go, well, where does that faith come from? Well, it's not about like, this internal tap into your inner self, live your best life now. No, it's, it's not any of those things. Even the faith that these people had were a gift from God. The promise was from God. The power was from God. Even the faith that the second generation had was a gift from God. It wasn't something that they just mustered up amongst themselves. You know, they didn't just work harder and become greater uh, warriors. No, no. Look in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, he, he, God gives him this promise, verse 3. This is God talking to Joshua. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will have, have given to you just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward going down, and the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What a promise by God. Now watch this. You ready? Just as I, this is God speaking, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The first component of this kind of faith that helps us overcome our fear, the, the, the first thing of that is realizing that God is ever-present in our lives. God is ever-present in our lives. On this side of, of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and the day of Pentecost, on this side it comes in the form of the Holy Spirit, dwelling inside of us. We call that the incarnational ministry of the Holy Spirit. He lives and dwells with each one of us who have given our lives to Christ and received him as our Lord and Savior, right? That's where that comes from. And, and it's, an ever, it's a recognition of an ever-present help that God is with you. you. You've got somebody on your side. You've got somebody empowering you. You've got somebody who's leading you. You've got somebody who's guiding you. You've got somebody who's giving you gifts, that's greater than anything in all of this world. He assures, just like God assured Joshua that Jesus, think about the Great Commission. Right at the end of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him because of his death, burial, and resurrection. So he sends us out as his ambassadors, and what does he close with? He says, and, and rest assured, I'm with you always. That's why we can walk in a faith that overcomes fear, because we realize who is walking with us. It's God. The second thing that helps develop that kind of faith that overcomes fear, see, that faith is a gift from God. We don't get it ourselves. We don't muster it up amongst ourselves. But we can cultivate it and we can develop it. One of those ways is reminding ourselves who's with us and who gave us that faith in the first place. And secondly, walking in obedience to God's word. Regularly diving into God's word. When Jesus says to abide in him, right, that apart from him we can do nothing, his presence and his power because look at what he says here in verse 7. He says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servants, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. You may have good success wherever you go. Now, if we're not careful, this could turn into legalism, right? It, it could turn into to living by law instead of the grace. That's not what he's saying here. He's just saying, recognize who it is that gave us the faith that we have to walk in it, whose power and presence is walking with us. And we begin to cultivate that faith through regularly spending time with God in his presence in prayer. Sophie just told you about the week of prayer. Can I, can I say right now, just a little side tangent, if you guys have never come to the week of prayer, can I encourage you to come as much as you can? There are some incredibly godly men and women in this church that will drastically impact your prayer life by just praying with them this week. I'm serious, y'all. Don't cluster up together as college students. Adults love to pray with you guys and to have you guys in our groups. I would encourage you to come as much as you can and you'll drastically be impacted, not as a competition, but an investment of those people praying with them. It's awesome. It's awesome, okay? So praying with God, spending time in his word, here's what God says. God says, Joshua, I've got the same promise for you I had for them. The land is incredible, just like it was 40 years ago. It's going to be hard, bro. They didn't just walk in and Jericho go, you know what? We tap out. You can have the keys to the city. No. But he said, but if you, I've given you the faith that you need to overcome your fear. If you remember who it is that's given you that faith, and you continue to walk with me, and you cultivate that relationship with me, and in so doing, you continue to cultivate and develop a faith that can overcome these fears that the adversary will throw at you of uncertainty or failure or guilt or shame, whatever it is. I got you, bro. I got you. Just walk with me. Just walk with me. That's where that kind of faith comes from. So what we've seen this morning, we saw the same God with the same promise, the same promised land. But one result, we saw a people that had a faith that was overcome by fear. They just had a hard time believing God and trusting in their faith. And then we saw the second group of people that had a faith that overcame that fear. And we continue to read in Joshua chapter 3, it says that they, they followed God. They crossed the Jordan River and, and, and they burned the ship, so to speak, and they never looked back. It's great. I continue to Keep reading if, if you want. It's fantastic to see how God delivers on those promises. So in your table groups, some time to talk around your table groups. Just some questions I thought of, please. Table leaders, be led by the Spirit. Don't be led by Greg Key. We are not one and the same. Uh, here's just some ideas that, that, uh, that I had. Like what's something in this passage, right, that really stands out to you in Numbers or in Joshua, the whole encounter together? Uh, what are some things in life that cause you to hesitate following God's call in your life? Um, I believe that God has general call for all believers. I believe God has specific calls for individual believers. Uh, and then the last thing is, what are some ways that you can help each other develop a faith that overcomes fear? Right? We don't do it by ourselves. Joshua didn't do it by himself. He had the, the people around him. He had the leadership team around him, okay? So thank you guys. Y'all spend some time in your table groups fleshing some of this out.